Listeners, start your engines. Episode 43, Rob here. On this episode, Kai Yanis of Crooked Table Productions joins us to talk about 2007's TMNT as we move into the second half of our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mega series, all six theatrically released films featuring our favorite heroes on a half shell. As always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Give us a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about 2007's TMNT. There's a legendary group of warriors that travels under the cover of darkness and fights for all those in need. But they have never been needed more than right now. You did see that up there? I've got a bad feeling. Between two worlds... Every 3,000 years, the stars align, unleashing an army of monsters. That can't be good. Beyond our universe... Within hours, we'll lose the city, and within weeks, the world... There is a brotherhood. Attack is one! That cannot be broken. Destroy them. Aren't you cute? You want a butt kicking little fella? Hey! Play to that thing that hit us last night. It looked like your mom, dude. <laughs> yeah, that would make her your mom too. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we're talking TMNT, the first CG animated uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film the first theatrically released animated Ninja Turtles film until this fall's Mutant Mayhem. And I'm honored to welcome to the show, for the first time on this feed, we were just saying, Kai Yanez of Crooked Table Productions. Wait, that can't be right. Hi, everybody. Um, Rob and I were just talking about this. It's been a long time since I've been on a Crooked Table Productions podcast. Yeah. Oh, it's great to be back. Yeah, I don't even remember the last thing we talked about. Uh, I believe was, it was was Harry it cats Potter or cats. No, was blind it? Were you born? Oh, maybe it might have been. It's either it it's cat. either the quick commentary on cats or Harry yeah, Potter, Potter, Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. Yeah, it might have been, been that. I, it, well, no, because uh, cats came out right before the pandemic. Yeah, but the, and, the, and it came that. out on Blu-ray like April something, April 2020, and then I don't remember. So Harry Potter was probably like a little a few months later. So I think it was that. 
because that was still 2020. Because I remember I did Star Wars on the other feed, uh, Close Watch, which used to be Crooked Table Podcast, uh, the progenitor to Franchise Detours. We did in 2019, every month, a Star Wars movie. And in 2020, every month, a Harry Potter movie. I think I actually got it mixed up with when I finished the books. Oh, I finished okay. the books in fall 2019 for Harry Potter. There you go. And then when you were going to be doing the Harry Potter series, I was like, oh, well, I definitely I'll be on that. And I want to do Half Blood Prince. So well, yeah, it's, it's still uh, serendipitous that we bring up the Cat's Crooked Commentary because one thing we did want to talk about. First, tell people who you are and what you have going on as much as... You're not podcasting about movies unless it's on here. So what, what do you want to tell the people? Introduce yourself. State your case. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, I'm Kai Yanis. I'm uh, Robert Yanis Jr.'s wife and the mother of his two now beautiful children. But the last time I did this podcast, uh, we didn't even we weren't even talking about having a second one. So now we're um, so now I'm the mother of two. And uh, yeah, just I just I work full time. Um in compliance, anti-money laundering compliance, and to try to get out and uh, visit with my family and friends and just like to travel when we can. Um, and just, you know, just we're here, you know, we're here. And uh, I stake out the, I, I keep watch of the children when Rob's on his podcast with the lovely guests that he has on. So, yeah, and I listen to every single episode. Yeah, she's very she's very supportive. Basically, Kai is always my fail safe because she is in the house and I can be like, please sit in front of this microphone and just talk with me for an hour about something. Uh, and this is not a particularly popular movie. I, in fact, I feel like most people probably have never seen this. Like a few guests, I think, during this mega series have never seen this one. I feel like you weren't even aware that it existed until I was like, hey, watch this for the podcast. You're like, which one is that? Is that the Turtles Forever with the different sets of turtles? Like, <laughs> no, the other yeah, one. They're like, there's another yeah, animated that one. That was not even canon. No, uh, I it mean, it's, 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 a, yeah, it wasn't, it's not one of, the, it's not in the scope of this mega series yet, essentially. So before we get to TMNT, what is, tell people what, what is your history with this franchise? You obviously were the same age. So I imagine we're aware of the, the animated series from the 80s. Did you, was that something you watched a lot? What was your exposure? to the Ninja Turtles as a kid? Um, I played the Ninja Turtles game on Nintendo with my older sister. And that was like one of the main Nintendo games that we played. And I believe, I believe we watched the TV show as well, which is why maybe we wanted the Nintendo game. Or maybe we didn't actually have only Nintendo game. We maybe just played it at friends' houses or something. Should we ever go to arcades? Because it was a big arcade thing too. I was not a big arcade Okay. Player. Um, which I you know might might surprise you. But yeah, I know I wasn't big into arcades. Um, I just didn't have all this spare chain roaming around. But uh yes, yeah, so we so I watched the show. I played the video game, and yeah, I liked the show a lot. And it was really fun. Um when the first movie came out, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I believe what year was that? Nineteen ninety. Okay. So I don't know what I was doing. I know, I know we've talked about this many times before, but I didn't see a lot of movies like on my own. Um, so there were, there was quite a bit of blind spots that I had in my childhood, um, from like for movies like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the Mario 
Mario movies, Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> yeah, like the, the, that's the, a that's a cookie commentary waiting to happen. Yeah, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, I didn't even see them until you showed them to me. Um, but I l- really liked I really liked the movies. I just yeah, the games. I just, you really yeah, like they the like games. the games. I really I really like the yeah. games and the video games. So I think I would have really as I think I probably did want to see the movie, but it just didn't happen. And in my circle of friends who I saw movies with, um, they didn't have any interest in seeing that or they didn't own it. Um, so that's that's my that's my history. TMNT. So you you saw the movies eventually, the Ninja Turtle movies. Never saw them as I kids never at saw all. Them. No, not at all. Not so, as a kid. So you hadn't seen not. But I not, knew the music. Yeah, I did know the music from the first one with Vanilla Ice because I had the Vanilla. Well, Ice. that's the second one. Oh, see, Secret yeah, of the Ooze. No, okay. Go uh, Ninja Rap. Yeah. Okay. Go Ninja. Go Ninja. Go. Okay. And MC Hammer didn't do any. No, that's Adam's family. You're getting all your early '90s franchise filmmaking mixed I up. Know. Adam's Family, which is definitely one I want to cover on here as a standalone, just the first, those two 90s uh, Adam's Family movies, because those are really fun. Uh, and also with Wednesday, they're topical now, too. Uh, we did play Shredder's Revenge, though. I think I mentioned that on other episodes. You, me, and our, our, our daughter Zoe played that one and beat that. And that was a lot of fun. And it was a real throwback okay, vibe. Oh, you beat it. I beat the last level, but you guys were there also and contributing. You beat like the, se- the penultimate, le- penultimate level, too. Because that Technodrome and, and Crane scared me and scared her too. And we got really far together, all of us together. But yeah, I think you did the last Speaking thing. of things that scare yeah. her, the, the the most recent two Ninja Turtles movies she's scared of. Uh, this one is actually, of these six, this is her favorite by far. This is the one she keeps gravitating towards. And I think I, I find that interesting because uh, you and I will have a lot of mixed things to say about this, I'm sure. Uh, so... You have seen all six of them. I showed you all six so. over the last, the, over time. In the last 12 years we've been together, yes. So does this one feel like, before we get into the movie in, in more detail to this movie, does this one feel like an outlier to you? Because I feel like this is now the point in the mega series where like things start to get weird. It's like you have your first one, you have a second one, you have a third one, it's all in continuity. Then it's like 14 years later and then there's this movie that came out that's completely different uh, you know, medium of storytelling. And I feel like it just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I mean, the I, I have to appreciate what the film is trying to do. Like, it's trying to tell a story about the the brothers in the future, kind of what happened to their brotherhood and their relationship. And a lot of, you know, and they were trying to do something different, be a little bit more forward-thinking. Which is this based off of a comic book? I'm not sure. Like this or this particular story yeah, yeah, book yeah. story idea? Yeah. Uh, not that I'm aware of. I think honestly, I think that's probably my biggest beef with it is that it doesn't it feels like the Ninja Turtles, but it, it they're in a story that has nothing to do with Ninja Turtles lore. You know what I mean? We have all we were just talking about the animated series. And when we get to the next set of movies, we'll uh, my guests and I will talk about the finally the inclusion of Krang, Bebop, Rocksteady, and stuff on uh, in the films, uh, but this feels like the Ninja Turtles in a movie that has nothing to do with any of the characters that we know. There's a so many colorful creatures and characters from the animated series, Baxter Stockman and Leatherhead, and all the ones. I mean, we just played but the game, Wing Nut, and all they these could be dead. I mean, but they never were in the movies at all. That's the whole point. And so this, if they're going animated, they have all these monsters in this movie. Why aren't you just making those characters that we all know and love instead of random stone creatures? That's is it my possible, issue. Like, 
who had was it still the same studio that had the rights well to this movie Kind of, because this is Warner Brothers. The first three are a new line, which was eventually uh, acquired by Warner Brothers. And then after this, the rights go to Nickelodeon and they, they, they do the 2012 show and then they do the, the uh, Michael Bay produced films. Mm-hmm. So, so this one uh, with the completely non-creative title, just simply TMNT, which I think maybe already hurt them because the brand awareness, if people don't, if that people don't know that acronym, I feel like they're like, what is it called? DMNT. What is that? Who are these people? Yeah. I mean, they don't know there, there had been a show. There was a 2003 animated show that I've seen some of that I actually think is pretty good and objectively not going based on nostalgia, probably, probably the best balance of comedy and like real stakes. And why did and, you never show this to me? Uh, I, I don't know. Because I show this to Zoe. Yeah. Zoe's seen some of it. I think yeah. she was like, Oh, it's too intense. Cause the, even in the theme song, it's like, uh, watch out for Shredder. Shredder sounds like, has like a Freddy Krueger vibe to him. Uh, so I think even though he's, it's more, it, well, kind of with the, with the voice, at least it's kind of more anime inspired. His blades. Oh, the blades on his hands. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. So this one directed by Kevin Monroe, who went on to do Dylan dog dead of night, which is a movie starring Brandon Routh that also doesn't exist. I think exists even less than this does. Uh, this has a budget of $34 million and it made $54 million domestically. Wow. So it did okay. Uh, I think they were planning on making a sequel to this at one point, but there's like, I think the studio that made this sort of fell through and so that those plans sort of fell by the wayside. Uh, so yeah, the first theatrically released animated film starting starring the Turtles. I think the interesting thing about this is that for me, watching this the first time, because I did see this in theaters, of course, uh, and we got the DVD You're soon after, and I, I am. Well, I own all six of these movies and Turtles Forever now and the original animated series. Um, I am. I am very loyal to my franchises and the people in my life, present company included. Uh, so it's is that it felt like this is the sort of the way these stories should be told. Like, you know, you can only get so far with the costumes and things like that. And I think the first three films are hindered by the fact that you can't really do a technodrome. You can't really do some of those characters and creatures and you can't really head into Dimension X because how is that going to be pulled off, you know, in real, in live action? You know, did you, did you, you know, do you agree with that? Do you think that maybe these characters belong in animation and maybe this is for the best considering even the next two movies feel like mostly animated uh, anyway. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, the start of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was comic books. Right. To then move to animated, to a cartoon, video games, animated. Yeah, I think that, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like, the only real people are are April and Casey, and then you have, like, these three... Even Shredder is all masked up, usually. Well, not in that of the Shadows, which we'll get to. Uh, uh, but yeah, but like even in the first three movies, the turtles are in like these goofy costumes. I will, d- I will, I will defend so the costumes in the first two. Possible. But yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I think given given this the time and the circumstances and the resources they had, I actually think the turtle costumes in those first two movies because they were done by Jim Henson's Creature Shop. I think they actually look pretty pretty good. Uh, the third one, not as much, which my guest and I got into. Uh, but it's also, 
you, this, the world that they exist in is so sci-fi heavy and it's so supernatural and, you know, everything is a giant. I had, and I know because I had a lot of the toys of these guys. It's all like an anthropomorphic bunny, an anthropomorphic bat, an anthropo, you know, anthropomorphic where they're like yeah. human features. An it's anthropomorphic, the, the, movie? the cartoon. Oh, wow. Anthropomorphic, uh, you know, the obviously Bebop and Rocksteady. Like all these characters are just, there's a giant Stingray guy that I had the toy of. Um, and they're not in the games. They might not, they're not in Shredder's Revenge. Some yeah. of them, some of them are, some of them not. Wow. But there's, you know, there's all these characters that would be almost impossible to pull off convincingly in live action. So I think if you have to go all all in on live action or animation. I think animation is the best way to go because like you said, then they look like the comic book drawings come to life. Even the original animated series was kind of, you know, playing to young children at that time. And so it doesn't have as much of a timeless quality as I think a lot of fans like our age would want to think it has. Uh, ideally, I think the best way to do it would Especially be have also the same too. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. The style and everything is like super eighties. Um, I think that ideally, what what they could have done for latter films, in in lieu of going full CG with the next two after this, is to have the turtles still be mostly practical, have them be costumes or animatronics or whatever, and only CG when they need to be, like when they're jumping up and kicking or something like that. Uh, and then have the other elements sort of be CG. Kind of like how the Muppets are still puppets, but if they need to, they'll like have them jump up in the air and kind of color out the, you know, the the green screened hands or whatever that's like moving them around. Things like that. Like they they find ways around it, but still keeping the integrity of those characters. So that would have been, I think for me, the, the best way to do it. But if you got to go all in, I think animation is definitely the way to go. And that's what I felt right off the bat with this movie. When you see the turtles on the rooftops jumping around, you see like Michelangelo early on, the kind of sewer surfing. It just has that sort of, um, excuse me, that sort of intensity that these characters, you know, that, that kind of visceral feel to these characters that they should have. There are teenagers who are supposed to be having fun. They're supposed to have feel loose and, and, uh, you know, athletic. And I, I think you don't get that in a lot of the other so, films. So in TMNT 2007, they're like almost 30. Or they already are 30. No, I don't think time is passing like that. They're still 14 teenagers. 14 years later. I said 14, 14 years later with the movies. Oh. From oh. 1993 to 2007. But clearly... Time I, I think they are supposed oh. to be... I think they're supposed to be maybe slightly older teenagers. If they're like 14, 15 in the, in the earlier films, they might be like 17 or whatever. Uh, because you do feel like it does seem like they're all slightly more mature. Like Leonardo's more focused on being a leader. Raphael's more focused, uh, more, um, more attitude. Yeah. More attitude. But he's also, they're all kind of finding themselves in, in different ways. It's like they've all sort of grown up that when it opens up, they all have like jobs and stuff. Oh yeah. Like Donatello's doing tech support because of course he is. And, uh, and Leonardo obviously is doing his little uh, training uh, you know, kind of traveling around training and developing his skills. And then Michelangelo's Cowabunga Carl. Uh, you said that you didn't like, like, I think you made, you mentioned to me that you didn't like that they were like, this one, the muscle, or, or like, not the muscle, that's a different one, but like the way that they had the title cards for them, for the characters. Is that this one or was that one no, of the other films? No, the other one. It was. Because the, that's. It was out of the shadows. That feels to be like, uh, it seems to be a thing that 
the latter movies not in the 90s do. I think because for the same reason what I said, that they're like, hey, you know, you don't, might not know who the hell these guys are. This is Leonardo. Um, so I think, I, yeah, I find that I find that interesting that it's very Ghostbusters too, where they're like, yeah, we were, we were doing awesome. And then mm, we kind of just went our separate ways. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird place to start a Ninja Turtle story. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what I was saying is that they, the film wanted to do something different and, you know, they didn't want to have an origin story because there were already three of those. Well, one of those with the three from the trilogy. And, you know, they just wanted to tell, say something, say something different. I don't know. I thought it was a, I thought it was a kind of an interesting way to, to take it. And that Raphael's trying, Raphael, Messi? Raphael, yeah. Raphael, yeah. I'm not doing that accent there. Raphael, he's like in the streets, basically like in a vigilante on his own because Leonardo is trying to be a better leader and the other two are just doing their own thing. So he's like, all right, well then I'm going to. It's like the two, it's basically like you have the four of them. And this, I, I think this is what I like, what I do like about this movie the, so much. Like I don't, I have mixed feelings about the movie or overall, but I love the dynamic with the turtles because it is what you just said. There's always been Leonardo on one side, one extreme, Raphael on the other side, the other extreme. And then Michelangelo and Donatello just kind of floating around in the middle trying to figure out whose who's perspective they align with a little bit more. And some of the other movies get into that as well. It does feel like an evolution of that dynamic from the original movie where in 1990, Raphael just, he's like, oh, I'm going out. He puts on a trench coat and a hat and just like wanders around. And he, he is kind of leaning into vigilanteism a little bit when he sees those guys. And, uh, and Casey Jones is kind of involved when they have their first meeting with Casey Jones in the original movie. Like, the bond between those two characters, I think, carries over here. And it feels true to the the arcs of these four turtles for them to be at this place. So I, I think that's another interesting thing, too, is that even though this is a different medium, a completely different cast, a completely different creative team, the filmmakers, Kevin Monroe has said, that it is basically honoring those other three movies as canon. When you were watching this for this podcast, at my behest, as we said, I ran in. I was like, oh, good. It hasn't happened yet. And I paused it on the like trophy room at the end because you see Shredder's helmet, you see the the canister of ooze, and you see the scepter, the time-traveling scepter from the third movie. And so me and my obsession with franchise filmmaking, hence the creation of this podcast, I, like, I love the idea that they were trying to have this be a successor and like kind of an unofficial fourth movie to those three in the same way that like, Brian Singer's Superman Returns is like, well, this is kind of a sequel to Superman 2, even though it's different people and it's, you know, it's styled after the same, the same, uh, you know, the, the same, the look of the costume is similar and sort of just an updated version of that. So I really appreciate that Isn't aesthetic. Kind of like The Force Awakens too? Well, that's more of a legacy sequel. This is more, you know, this is, there's a little bit of that. This is the same, focus on the same characters. That was more like, oh, right. that would be like if this was about, uh, 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 some lizard brothers and they're like oh man those turtles they were legends we can be like them and then they cross paths with them or something. That yeah well they had the um Set oh my god the punk, punk frogs or whatever remember oh, yeah. one of the thing oh, in the god. game you have to go collect them or whatever oh, they're gosh, trapped for right. uh so that's and then they take credit don't they take credit these spoilers for shredder's revenge don't they take credit for saving the city or something at the end I think so. it's pretty funny give us those characters see what i mean i want all these weird ass characters and 
this is a really goofy franchise. And so I think when the movies lean into that, other than the first one, which I, I you know, my guest and I said, uh, talked about this, has that perfect balance of the accessibility to kids that the, that the animated show has and the kind of grittiness of the uh, comic books. Other than that one, the other movies in this franchise that I think work the best are the ones that lean into how goofy this is. They're six foot tall turtles. It, it is going to be goofy. It should be goofy. Yeah. And if you're not owning that, it feels kind of false or hollow. Thoughts, Kai? I mean, yeah. I mean, they're, they are mutant turtles. They're teenagers, too. Yes, that live in a sewer, which is like, I even, like the Mac luxury sewer, if there ever was. I'm right. watching this movie and I was like, oh my God, that sewer is just like gorgeous. So luxurious. So spacious. And um, that that definitely is a plot hole that was never addressed in any of these films. Well, in the in the second one, they in the first one, they just live in this kind of like dank, like sewer location, you know, which you oh, see right. a little okay. bit. And then the the Foot Clan find them and kidnap Shredder or Splinter. They don't like that Shredder and Splinter are ri- arch rivals and their names kind of begin and end with S and R. Uh, that's confusing. Um, and, uh, then in the second one, they find that like abandoned subway station that they take over and then redress as their new lair. And, oh, that, and that, that carries, more sense. that carries over into the third. And I feel like this one is a little bit redesigned, but it's supposed to kind of be a similar space. So, okay. So and I it, guess the story yeah. comes from the comic books and then the, the TV show, but they never, but they went and lived, moved into a subway station. It's, along the way. But it's just in the sewers. It's accessible from the sewers. So even though this one looks, and I made a note of this, this lair looks a, kind of more like the, the Foot Clan lair from the 1990s where they're like hanging out. And as a child watching that, you're like, man, do I want to join the Foot Clan? Because they got like all this like pizza and they got arcade machines and like pool tables. And don't they have a skate ramp? Yeah, and a skate ramp. It's like the most 90s thing of all time, but in a good way. The sequel, Secret of the Ooze, is the most 90s. In, you know, in a vanilla ice way. So it's a little bit of a different vibe. Uh, but yeah, because they're, 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 their lair is more like like the Foot Clan lair. And they're like, man, I just want to hang out here now. Um, so that one, that's one thing I noticed about it too. Uh, I, I do want to shout out the, the voice cast in this. Because one, first of all, there's a bunch of big names in this that I'm like, why is... Yeah, you told me the way in and I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I do hear it now. Well, I wasn't even going to talk about him yet. I was going to say first, they have Lawrence Fishburne in this thing, who they must have just had on contract to be like, hey, I want to come in for two hours and read to four turtles, four brothers, Is you on protecting New York or something. I, it just feels like they were like, hey, you want to come in easy money and read like a paragraph? Because it's literally like two minutes of narration at the very beginning of the movie. Or, you know, yeah, maybe he did also have a, maybe a distribution contract where he had to finish up some movie. Very strange. Like, oh, I, I'll do this. Like, if you're going to have Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne, obviously, everyone that knows me knows how much I love The Matrix. Morpheus himself, uh, I would say Ike Turner himself, but I don't want to compare that. No. But amazing in that movie in, as well. Uh, a tremendous actor. If you're going to bring him in this movie, why not just have him be the voice of Winters? The, the kind of perceived villain of this movie. Like, why not just have him be in it more than two seconds? Instead, you have Lawrence Fishburne for like the very beginning of the movie. And then you have Patrick Stewart giving a, you know, a f- decent performance. But it's not like that. Like I said, the the 
the turtle stuff works for me. The plot stuff with you know Winters and this these ancient evil and his he's the the main villain guy, the the rich guy who's who is an ancient warrior who's immortal who resurrects his stone generals so they can collect the thirteen monsters or some shit. I don't know. That was very (laughs) convoluted. I have to say. Yeah, not not super into that whole storyline. I feel like it doesn't feel like it meshes with the turtles themselves. Even though I appreciate the the parallel between the you know the stone generals all being brothers and they're sort of at odds, like their their dynamic and how it how it relates to the turtles themselves as brothers, and so like that whole brothers fighting brothers kind of thing. Like I think that's interesting. Uh, so. There's elements of that, like thematically that I appreciate, but it's also like you could have done that with other characters. Had Why not just have the punk frogs be the bad guys and they're just running around loose and they're also brothers or something? I don't know. I feel like there's so many other ways to make it more engaging because whenever it focuses on those monsters and the stone guys, I'm like, I'm just checked out. And then when it's the turtle drama, then I'm, I'm all I'm on board. That's pretty much what was happening. I was watching this movie by myself because um, my because our daughter had already watched it because we're like, oh yeah, watch this movie for Fami because she'll be doing a podcast about it. And I think I was in the, I was doing something else so I didn't actually end up watching it with her. And so I just watched it by myself like on it's a recent Sunday. And yeah, that's pretty much what was happening. Whenever the Monsters and Winters was on the screen, I that's when I went to my phone, you know, or I, you know, made a little bit more of an effort to like take notes from what I saw previously, but yeah, and then when the and then when the uh, brothers came back on, uh, or the scenes with Casey and Raphael, I was watching them too. Right. So yeah. But yeah, that that plot was not interesting. Yeah, that was literally in my in my notes because Lawrence Fishburne tells us, "Oh, they defeated their arch enemy, the Shredder," and then there's like an ancient evil, and I'm like, "What the like, WTF is this?" Is what I wrote in my notes. I was like, because this is a kid's movie. I'm trying to keep it F-bomb free. Uh, like, what does this have to do with the tur- with the Ninja Turtles? <laughs> what I wrote in my notes. Um, that being said, Lawrence Fishburne and Patrick Stewart wasted here. Still fun to see, to see, air quotes, see, to hear Sarah Michelle Gellar and Chris Evans in this thing, which you didn't, I, how did you? You did tell me. Yeah, you, you should have heard. You before and I forgot and I don't like to look up voice actors while I'm watching movies. Right. Um, and yeah, and then you told me like when the movie was practically almost done, you're like, oh, you hear your boy? I'm like, no. And I listen, I'm like, oh my God. I said, like, you're right. Chris Evans is one of my um, one of my heartthrobs. I'm not gonna say he's my favorite actor because he's not that great. Oh, he's he's been he's good okay. sometimes. I mean, yeah. He's okay, but he's I think he's under like my crush. Yeah. My yeah. movie crush. Well, he's one of the sexiest men alive. Yes, he so is. you also like Chris Hemsworth, who I was, do? I believe, named yes, recently. Was. You also like Paul Rudd. Basically, if you're an Avenger and we're People's sexiest man alive. Kai is like you, you know, got her their your picture in her locker somewhere. Um, so so yeah, uh, it's fun to see those characters back. I like that in this movie they're officially a thing because the first movie they sort of if if we're viewing this as the fourth film in the series in the series relating to the other three, the first movie they meet there's clearly chemistry, but there's like antagonism as well. The second one Casey's weirdly absent from, which my guests and I talked about that. And the, how annoyed we were as kids. We're like, well, the hell, where's Casey? Like, where's Casey was the best part of the first movie. Then the third one, uh, the character is back 
in a weirdly subdued way where he still doesn't get to do anything. But this kind of cements his his uh, continued existence in the world of the turtles. He's now dating April. Uh, Are they like living together? Yeah, maybe? yeah, I think so. Their relationship has progressed in those couple years or whatever. Let's say this is two years since Ninja Turtles three. They're now they're dating. They're living together. She's working in antiquities, which I mentioned on the Ninja Turtles yeah, three yeah. episode. Is yes, it's like yeah, builds on that because in that movie she's like, oh, I went to this antique shop and look, I found this weird scepter thing. And now in this movie, she's working in antiquities, which I thought was interesting. Like that experience. Right. In the third movie, she's, they don't even mention that she was like a reporter or anything, barely. Now I have a note about what you were saying about Casey. I love it. So, and this is more coming towards like the end of the movie in the the fight sequence with Raphael, Casey, and this, I guess. The stone guys or whatever, the monsters, who cares? One of those things. Yeah, something. And I say, Right here is Casey hopeful or a hindrance because it didn't seem like Raphael was having very many problems until Casey. It's fair. He was very, he was a lot more smooth with the with the vigilante stuff. He was not getting nobody knew who he was. Right. Like even his own brothers are like, who's his vigilante? And Casey Night Watcher. Yeah. And then Casey comes out and they're getting busted all the time, breaking, breaking stuff. And he's not very subtle. No, he's Casey. Not. He, He's very sloppy. Casey's very sloppy. Yeah. But Raphael didn't even say this to him. He's just like, oh, yeah, you're my buddy, I guess. But like, I'm like watching this movie. I'm just like, oh, my God. He's just, he's causing problems. He's not a very good, not a very good uh, soldier here. Uh, warrior. I don't. Vigilante, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Casey's always been a very, a like smack across the head with a hockey stick. Ask questions later. Uh, you know, beat up, beat first, beat down first, and then ask questions later kind of guy. And again, I feel like this feels true to the the character that Elias Cody has played in the original three films, or for one in three at least. So then that question would go with all the movies. It's, yeah, Casey's awesome, but he's like not, he is not a teenage mutant ninja turtle. He's not. So what you're saying is, Casey, it's a good thing Casey's not in the second one, because otherwise they would have lost to Shredder, probably. probably. Or Shredder would have survived. Because it's that interesting that he's in the first one. They defeat Shredder. Even Casey's like, whoops. And he turns on the trash compactor in the garbage truck and crushes Shredder. But Shredder survives because he's a little cockroach, that he's guy. He's also a kid's movie. He, well, but, but still, in a kid's movie, he turned the thing on and crushed him. And there was no hint in the first movie. It's not like after the credits, he was like, I'll be back from the sequel. Like, obviously, they were going to find a way out of it. But they seemingly crushed him to death in that movie, which is ballsy for a 1990 kids movie to do based on an animated uh, series so him, him being absent in the second one it's like it's kind of like the reverse of Avengers Endgame which I'm looking at the poster at right now where they uh, Hawkeye's in the first one they win he's in the second one they win he sits out the third one everybody dies. <laughs> they comes back in the fourth one and they win so it's the opposite Casey needed to go take a vacation so that they could defeat Shredder once and for all basically there you go see because he's he's a menace. Yeah, but uh, he's cool, though. He's cool. Yeah. And he, he likes... He's your boy. It's Chris Evans. You're not going to no. say no to Chris Evans in a movie? Well, but it's the voice of Chris Evans. I know. You didn't get to look at him. You're bitter about it. 
Even though he, this was around the same time he was playing Human Torch. Uh, Fantastic yeah, Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer came out this same year. So I he would have been a good he, Casey Jones, actually. I if there was a, a contract deal with him, too. Maybe. With, like they had with Lawrence Fishburne. Maybe that was exactly what was happening. Well, Fantastic Four is Fox. This is Warner Brothers, uh, but maybe. You have, a 30, you have a $34 million budget and you have Lawrence Fishburne. Well, remember, Chris Evans wasn't Captain America yet. No, he wasn't. He wasn't getting the $10, $20 million a movie or whatever he got. He didn't even get that the first movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so... And Sarah Michelle Gellar, who was still coming off of Buffy. Right. Yeah, Buffy had ended in 2003. So she was a few years in. This was after The Grudge. And I'm trying to think what else. I thought it was the same year. No, no. The Grudge was like 2004, I think. Because I saw that in theaters, too. Oh. Uh, okay. yeah. So, but she, this was after the Scooby-Doo's. I'm trying to think what movie, what was her most recent movie at that point, but she'd done a few. She's had more, she's been in more hit movies than I think people want to give her credit for because they're like, oh, she's Buffy. What else has she done? Oh, like a lot. Cruel Intentions. And I know what you did last summer. Like Scream 2. Like educate yourself, you better, people. Yeah, you better, better front. Respect. Respect her name. Yeah. SMG. Um, no, but Chris Evans would have been a totally perfect live action Casey Jones. I'm thinking pretty much less of a, a less dickish version of Lucas Lee from one of my favorite movies, Scott Pilgrim versus yeah, the world. Cause he did hockey. Yeah. He was a skater guy in that and everything. And that's changing his vibe. Trying to, trying to inspire that. I don't, I don't know. Out. I don't think probably not, but it, it would work. And while we're speaking on the voice cast, I did want to point out specifically how much I love Nolan North. He does the voice of Raphael in this Nolan North for people that, we're not watching ABC daytime soap operas in the 90s. Uh, played Chris Ramsey on the General Hospital spinoff Port Charles, which I was really into from 1997 to 2003 when that was on. And he was his character was sort of the the bad boy of the interns starting at the hospital when the show started. But he was like the bad boy with the heart of gold type that he was always like scheming and up to stuff. But then when it came right down to it, cared about everybody and that kind of thing. So he has since since that show ended, he's become such an accomplished voice actor. He's I think does the main does the voice of the main character in the Uncharted video games and everything. He does he's in this. He's like popped up in so much stuff. So I just wanted to shout that out because it's like it was when I saw that he did the voice of Raphael in this, I was like, oh my gosh, that guy from Port Charles, now he's doing voice acting and he's, you know, playing, play doing such a great job as one of the, you know, one of the most uh, uh one of the most prominent Ninja Turtles in this movie. So I, I, I did enjoy that and I wanted to shout him out. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the voice for Raphael because like why is Raphael's voice accent different than everybody else in I think movie he goes, that lives in New York? You know what? He sounds so much more New Yorker and maybe that's yeah. just the whole, the whole thing with the attitude, but it was distracting. I was like, what <laughs> the hell? Like, he... But but that's how it is. We grew up in the same sewer. In the original movies, that's how it is too. Well, he's like, oh yeah, you Leo, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking. It's like that. Well, Forget about it, Leo. Let's get a slice. Bada bing. He's a little bit of that vibe. I think it's part of the out, partly the attitude that you that, like you're saying. I think they're part of like giving him like, oh, I'm I'm the turtle that's roaming in the streets kind of thing. But to play devil's advocate, I also think there's an argument to be made for the fact that he does seem to go out in the world and mingle and observe and listen and pick up on things that are happening more than the other three. The other three are 
more lo- more uh, adhering to Splinter's whole like, oh, you know, ninjas are not seen. They come out of the shadows. They kick butt and they disappear like without a trace. That the whole thing. And Raphael's like, yeah, yeah, but I want to go to the movies. I want to go walk around the park and fight some bad guys or whatever. That's true. So I think there's there's an argument to be made that he's he's more connected to people than the other three. All right. I'll give it to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Also, uh, Zhang Zi is in this as Karai, doing the voice of Karai, who you're like, who the hell is that? Karai is Shredder's daughter, and she's the female leader of the Foot Clan yeah, in this movie. Who's, 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 that, who's that voice? Zhang Zi? Yeah, from Crouching Tiger. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I wasn't sure if that's how it was pronounced. Okay. I think well, it's how it's pronounced. I could be wrong. Wow, see, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. It's a stacked voice cast. Yes. And I don't, they it didn't, didn't work at all. They didn't promote it or anything. They're like, Chris Evans, Sarah Michelle. Maybe they should, maybe the movie would have done a little better if they had kind of pushed the voice cast a little bit I more. Yeah, I didn't even know this movie existed. It, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um. So I, I do, it's weird that she's in this movie because I think, again, they're, they're, Feeling like they can't go back to the Shredder right away for some reason. So instead they have Karai here as sort of showing what the Foot Clan has been doing in his absence. And who's been running it. And they even hint at the Shredder's return at the end. Where she's like, soon we'll meet again. The kind of meeting that involves faces from your past. And the Turtles are like, oh, she can't mean what's his face. And then of course that's a tease that never got paid off. So they, they were clearly planning on circling back around to the Shredder and just this whole thing with Winters was like a band-aid to kind of just start the franchise up again. And I think had it been a more compelling story, it might have stuck a little better. Well, I'm also curious what what movies came out that week that same weekend. Oh, I don't maybe know. Maybe it got maybe it got overshadowed. March 2007? I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, March 23rd. <clears throat> That's not even that popular of a time. It, or is it? Like or is that a popular movie time? Because for families, because spring break. It's very possible, Kai. So based on my research, this came out like a couple weeks after 300. So uh, not that it's the same audience because kids would go see the other one. Uh, but I, I don't know. Found out that doesn't I really think, matter. I think that it almost, it's almost like Warner Brothers thought there was more of a built-in audience for this than there was in 2007. You know, I think they were releasing this thing. Like, oh, they, we don't need to promote it or anything. Like... People will go see it because Ninja Turtles and not realizing 14 years had passed. And yes, they had a show on the air in 2003, like I told you, but it was nowhere near the cultural phenomenon that the 1987 series was. Yeah. So I think they were yeah, that's a good point. maybe banking on, oh, the show's on the air. People know about Turtles. It's still around. And I'm like, yeah, but not the same way. You have to hook. Those people grew up. You can't, yeah, you can't just rely on, except for me, you can't just rely on the hardcore fan base. The like at that point, 20 somethings to go and watch this animated movie. You have to bring the little kids in as well. Uh, but yeah, so a uh, few more things I wanted to point out. So I also noticed that April is also training in this movie. Like the scenes early on where she's fighting and with the sticks and whatever. Uh, and I thought that was cool because then she gets to actually become a part of the team instead of standing on the side where the turtles do everything. So in that final battle, she's also fighting and kicking butt. Uh, we've talked a lot about, since I've shown you the Michael Bay ones, about the design of the turtles and how they scare the hell out of you in those movies. What did you think about the design here of the turtles? Oh, I like, I mean, it's, it's animated, so it's easier to sell in general, but like, I liked it. I thought it was, um, I thought it was interesting. It was different. Yeah. The skin tones. There's one thing I I always noticed is I liked it better than cartoon animation, but I know cartoon animation is what we're used to. Right. But yeah, I like, I I like the, 
like I, I appreciate when little one little detail that I usually notice is if when they give variations in the skin tone to the different turtles or muscle tone. I noticed muscle that too. Tone? Raphael, uh, Raphael was like bigger. He was bulkier. Well, than his brothers. He's fighting more than yeah. yeah than the other ones, and he's definitely he's like lifting. It was subtle, but it was there. I was even checking like, okay, how do they look different other than just having different right um, masks? On. That was one of my criticisms of the the suits in Turtles Three is that they all look like the exact same suit with different color bandanas on. Like they the exact same skin tone, exact same body shape, everything. Like they should have the the like spots on their on their skin or are in the exact same places almost in the in turtles three and everything like there was no care that these are individual characters not just copy and paste the same the same thing yeah. so the skin tones here were different the snouts the fact that they have yeah, snouts that and not nostrils because that's the thing yeah, that freaks me out the most not, which, is not, which is scary and yeah i don't like that the CGI. is it more realistic to real turtles with the snout with the the nostrils probably yeah, but like i don't want to turtles have nostrils yeah but they it's doesn't look good when you make them. They don't. They don't have teeth. All I've noticed, pretty much all versions of these characters have teeth. Turtles don't have teeth. So what are we doing here? Like you can't say like, well, nostrils are accurate to the actual animal. Like, well, not the teeth. Then what the hell? What is this? Well, they had to make them more um, anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic. It's a hard word, isn't it's it? A hard word. To a lot say, of yeah. O's and P's in weird places. Uh, I I also want to point out too that this one. Just like the third one, it feels like it leans more on mysticism. I feel like the first two were more like science fiction. There's an ooze and there's mutants. And now we're going to make a giant wolf and a giant snapping turtle. And, and it's all science. Science in the first two. And then the third one was time traveling scepters and magic and stuff. And here it's again sort of like mystical in oh, nature. But how accurate is that though to the comics and I, no idea. the cartoon? No idea. It's just... It just felt like uh, it continued the trend that was happening in the previous film, is what I mean. Cause I, yeah, because I feel like in you know, Turtles, a lot of it is science fiction. Yeah, not, it is usually. Not Maybe that's the other thing, that why I like 1 and 2 so much better than 3 and 4. Or, or that mysticism doesn't feel earned in the same way. And I felt like there was a missed opportunity, and maybe if they had done a sequel to this, they could have built on this. But Yodel, who's the, the, the kind of ancient name for Winters, I think, uh, he has a portal that like opens up and I feel like, and that felt to me like a perfect setup to bring dimension X into this. They give a portal to another world, essentially. Like why aren't we I leaning really into that? I feel like it really just seems like they didn't have the rights to all the characters or something. Or, or like, it's just like laziness or something. Or they were like, going to do this. They were going to have to just do just, they just had maybe the rights to the turtles and, April and Casey and that's it. But they're all the same. I don't know. Maybe. That's weird. It is weird. It's all really weird. It's like the turtles, but in a world that doesn't include any of the hallmarks of the franchise other than the like the two humans they hang out with and their rat daddy. Yeah, maybe in order to get more rights, they had to have a bigger budget. Like I don't know any of that. I don't know how any of that works with distribution, but copyright, but maybe. Yeah, maybe. Because that's Weird. Yeah, well, and and Winters doesn't even meet the turtles. The air quote villain of the movie doesn't even meet them until the last twenty minutes of this movie. So yeah, there's no there's no like tension. I'm just like, oh, so you're the turtles. And like, oh, yeah, you're the guy. The end. And I okay, okay, and I didn't even get that. Like that that ending was very abrupt. Like he's like, oh yes, I need to send them back. And then Kyrie is Kyrie. 
Which one? Um, oh, Karai? Karai. Yeah. She's like, we will help you. I'm like, wait, what? Why? You're the foot clan. You're with the foot clan. And you're going to help this guy now get rid of his stone brothers. Now he's not bad. Like, I don't know. I, maybe I missed, I probably missed something. He, yeah, he just wants to be able to cross over, I think, Winters. Because he's like, I've been immortal. It sucks. Get me out of here. So he screws over his brothers. Mm, kind of. And they, no, they betray him. I think they don't want to, they don't want to go. They don't get, get the 13th back monster. Yeah. They pretend, they think they bring one of the turtles to him being like, this is the monster. And he's like, no, it's not. I'm like, ha too late. Your window's passed or whatever. I don't know. You can tell, you can tell by this conversation how little we're invested in that story, I think is the problem. <laughs> you're invested in your podcast. I am. But what I, franchises. I, I am. But what I am invested in, and I feel like, I occasionally will see people talking about this movie and be like, oh, it's so underrated. It's masterpiece. It's one of the best turtles. I'm like, what? Well, there was a YouTube thing we saw that oh, was like something of a master. Oh, I'm I like, guess, mm, yeah. I hope you're being facetious. Uh, it is not, don't get me wrong. It's not a bad movie. It is a fine movie. It's, it's in the middle of this franchise. I would probably put it in the middle of my rankings. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Why do you think Zoe gravitates to this one so much? What do you... I think she likes... One, I think she likes that it's animated. And yeah. it is more accessible to her already there. Right. Secondly, I think she likes... She like, you know, she, like, uh, she, she likes creatures and stuff. And I think yeah. all the monsters and stuff, she thinks that's cool. Yeah. That's what I think it is. She's got a lot of toys that are like little dinosaurs and little, those little creatures and critters and blah, blah, blah. One of the, little, one of the monsters is a little tiny thing that Raphael has a fight with in a diner where the... Oh, she's the, like, he's cute. Yeah, see, exactly. Where the fry cook, by the way, voiced by Kevin Smith, has like two lines of dialogue. Like, oh, don't hurt me, man. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, my podcast. That's what he said. Um, <laughs> he doesn't say that, but he might as well. Uh, yeah. But what I am invested in is the Leo and Raph thing. And so yeah. if that's what everybody's like, man, this movie was so... We so missed out on this movie when it came out. And then other people in the comments on social media are like, yeah, but this is the like only really good part of the movie. And I tend to veer more towards that side. I think it's not the only good part, but it is by far the highlight. Like if I were to do a top 10 sequences in this entire franchise, that's definitely in that in the mix. Because there's real drama, there's real tension, there's real stakes between these two brothers. And to your point earlier, Leonardo and Raphael, both trying to fulfill their mission, both trying to serve their master and protect the city. Leonardo does so by going to Central America and training to be a better leader for the team. Raphael does so by going out and making a difference and not waiting around for the right How time. How did Leonardo communicate with his brothers about what he was doing? It's this unclear. Like Splinter sent him off very or something. Disconnected from. Well, they are disconnected when it starts. Like, so yes, like, it just seems like they just. It seems that it just sounds like he's elusive, and they had no idea where he was. And Raphael is like mad about it, bitter about it, but. Meanwhile, Splinter is one that sent him out. And yeah, Raphael is just jealous of Leo. But Leo is also just like a self-righteous. He is. Pompous. And this, and this, and this fight so. scene gets to the, gets to the heart of both scary, of them. I was man. I really. Awesome. I really, I was like really surprised that Raphael was basically about to, could have killed him. Yeah, the sigh like over yeah. his head. Yeah. Yeah. This, and I wrote this in all caps. There's something bad. I'm like, um, Yeah. You almost killed your brother. Yeah. This, I wrote this in all caps in, in my notes. The Leo versus Raph feels like the climax to the whole, to the whole series. Like if this is the 
fourth and final installment of this four part like movie series with these turtles with the same continuous, you know, storyline. This feels like a culmination of everything from the first to through this through this point. I think you're now us now talking about this. I think you're going to get more people to actually uh, watch this movie. Maybe. I mean, it, I it's not. It's, have a new resurgence. I think it's worth it's worth watching. It's not terrible. I I would say why if you're a Turtles fan and you haven't seen it, I would watch it for this sequence alone. It's only at least. an hour and twenty six minutes. Yeah, it's very short. It's and the animation is fine. The animation is not the like the quality of animation. It's decent for two thousand seven. Zoe uh, was watching. Not a movie I enjoy, but she's into this franchise. She was watching Shrek the Third today, mm-hmm. which is also a movie that came out in 2007. Looks a lot better than this, but had like, I don't know, four times the budget probably. Yeah. Or something. And you can tell that like they this. Spent a lot of money on voice actors though, too. <laughs> yes, they did. Oh my God. Um Cameron Diaz and Mike Myers spent like $10 million for like a week in a studio or something. Uh but you you can very much tell this is sort of a mid-budgeted. Uh, animated project and you know had they gotten more money it probably would have looked even better but uh, I, I think this sequence most of that 35 million feels like it went to this scene because this sequence is like looks so gorgeous in the rain on a rooftop you know the way the the, the way it glistens other, off other of their weapons and I don't know Raphael in the rain on a rooftop um it's it it like you're to your point earlier of the two characters and their character flaws. Leonardo doesn't know that that's Raphael. He just knows this is some vigilante running around New York. First of all, why isn't Leonardo fighting crime in New York? Not part of the police office, not, not working with the police, not working with the government. Isn't he kind of doing the same thing to a degree? Firstly, secondly, he like walks up to him and he's like, I know you think you're doing the right thing, blah, blah, blah. And Raphael, we get kind of a, Iron Man style, like inside the helmet thing of him being like, he's monologuing or he's lecturing or something. He, and monologuing, it makes me think of uh, Incredibles. But he's he's lecturing. He's like, Leonardo's pacing back and forth, telling this other vigilante what he's going to, how he's not doing things right or whatever. So he's ridiculous. But uh, yeah, so I, I think. Leonardo's definitely not my favorite turtle. He's- I like Leonardo. I think I understand. But remember, these are also teenagers. Like he's doing what he thinks is right. And Raphael's doing what he thinks yeah. is right. And they have completely different approaches, but ultimately they have the same goal in mind. The whole point of this movie and what the part of the story that I do find interesting is that these four brothers are not on the same page at all. They're not united in, in a mission. They're not, they're not working together. Uh, they're not a team. They're, they're uh, to go with the Avengers thing. We're not a team. We're a time bomb. Um, they're, uh, they've fallen you know, they've fallen out of sync with each other. And I think that's the whole point of this movie is them getting reconnected. And I, that, that's the part that I find is interesting. And it's almost like this fight with Leo and Raph needed to happen at some point for them to get past that, for Raph to realize, you know, what he's missing. And Splinter has that conversation with him where he's like, you know, you have passion and all this other stuff. And those are qualities of a great leader, but only tempered by humility and, and, you know, all that other. So he's, so it's the song that Leo needs to have too. Right. But they that's why they need to work together because they bring the they bring the best out of each other. And they get you have that that moment there. So you have the first part of the fight where they're fighting, and then Leonardo is kicking Raph's ass and knocks him out, and the helmet flies off of him. And then he sees it's Raph Bayel, and then he's holding back. Yeah. Because he knows it's his brother, and he's like, 
holding, keeping him at bay, blocking him and, and, you know, uh, holding his own, but not really going for the offensiveness the way he was when it was just some random vigilante fighting him. And this is when Raphael really kind of kicks into high gear. Now he's pissed because Leonardo says the thing that he's been wanting to say since the first movie where he's like, and more and more, he's like, and most importantly, I'm better than you. And oh, then, yeah, man. and then Raphael's like, oh, I have to disagree with you about that. And then, then he goes for him, and that's where he, because Leonardo's holding back, and Raphael is not. That's where Raphael almost so, pins him to the ground and almost stabs him with yeah, his fucking so wait, with his thing. Wait, I for, with his I side. That is thing. That'd be Leo weird. Say that I'm better than you to the vigilante, or he said that to no Raphael. to Raphael. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, I was watching that. Seems like, and I was shocked. I'm like Leo's like, he's, he's what well, he's got the he's got he's got an, like an ego about he him. He does. He's pompous. But Raphael does he's too. Arrogant. He's like I'm better than you, and he's like ha ha ha. I'm I I disagree with you but about that. And he's like the, maybe one of the reasons that Raphael has such an attitude is because he has his brother over here being like I'm better than you, I'm better than all of you. So we know which clearly which which Ninja that. Turtle you relate to the A most. Little bit. I like Donatello actually the best because he's the smart one. And he just wants to. You don't want to be a party dude like Michelangelo? No. Oh, gosh. No. I don't. Michelangelo's everybody's favorite when they're a kid because they're like, hey, he just wants to have pizza and hang out and have fun. I want to be hanging out with Michelangelo. And then as you get. How does he do anything? And then as you get older, you're like, oh, but Leonardo, I like Leonardo. I don't know if he's my fave. He might be my. Because I, as the older. This is the. We're starting to get all like therapy session now. As the older of two siblings. Leonardo feels to me like probably the oldest turtle, maybe not by much because they're all similar like, age. Like two seconds. Yeah, probably. But he feels the weight of carrying everyone else. He feels responsibility and the burden of that. And that's an older sibling thing. Raphael is like, oh, I need to prove myself. I'm never going to live up to the great Leonardo. He even says in this movie, actually. I didn't even have that in my notes. I just remembered. So Raphael is the like younger sibling or middle child who's like, oh, I need to like find my place in the family and, and assert my, my, so wait, you know, wait, my own. Hello is the second. I'm not sure. I feel like Michelangelo is the baby because he's yeah. like, Hey guys. Ugh. He even looks younger. Yeah. Than yeah. Him. Yeah. You even pointed that out with yeah. the, the Michael Bay ones. Yeah. He looks younger. He looks smaller. thinner. Like, yeah. yeah. And his voice is like an octave higher. And especially yeah. in the, in the, uh, the, the Bay ones. Where he's like, so are you guys like a thing or what? Like, it's like super up there. Um, yeah. So, Basically, what we're saying, not a terrible movie. There's some good stuff here. I don't, I don't think that the main plot works, but the turtle stuff is definitely worth checking out. And as we're going into this year with Mutant Mayhem, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem coming out in, I think, August oh, or wow. September or something coming out. I just earlier today on Twitter, I saw like leaked images of what the action figures look like. And there's Leatherhead is in there and the, uh, Baxter Stockman as Superfly. So I don't know how I feel about that name because Leatherhead is that the that's the truck? Gator. Oh gosh, I didn't like that. Yeah, Bebop and Rocksteady. So it seems like they're bringing they're actually listening to my podcast and bringing in characters from the animated series into CG animation, like this movie. So that's my my or big hope is that I don't we, they tried that with the the ones after this, and I don't think we want that. It didn't work Wait. very well. The ones after this, the Bay produced oh, ones. Those are mocap. That's mocap. It's hard to tell, right? Who are the, those? Were people? Yeah, voice actors dressed in mo mocap. Yes. Oh, I don't know. Uh, okay. I, I, I don't know. Sense. Mixed results. So 
that being the being the case, would you rec- do you would you for people that haven't seen this, would you recommend Turtles fans check this out, or would you like don't bother guys? Sure, sucks. yeah, why not? I mean, it's fun. Just you know, the turtle stuff is is the good. Turtle stuff is good, and and it looks pretty cool. Yeah, and it's now become a strange anomaly in this franchise as the only one of this mega series that is a one off, basically. So, so Kai, every episode I get to this point and I ask. First of all, I ask, what do you? What is the legacy? of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie franchise. That's saying like, what does it contribute to cinema? What, what makes this franchise different? How has it changed or affected the, the culture? I guess any of those, however you want to, whatever you take that, the word legacy to mean to you. Uh, um, I feel like the legacy of it is that it is coming back in, is coming back like stronger. Cause now we have the shutters revenge video game that who even knew people were asking for that but they were um so i feel like it's kind of getting that resurgence more so now but even during the time of michael bay films i don't really feel like t tmnt was that was that popular anymore right right um i mean i wasn't rushing out to go see those movies i mean um i was but you know i just don't feel like because nostalgia is definitely a thing um, but I just don't, I mean, we'll see how well this new one does, but I just, yeah, I just, it's not, I don't know. I don't think it's really done much to the world of cinema. It's kind of just a silly, it's a silly idea of having yeah Ninja Turtles, mutant Ninja Turtles that are but, teenagers. But you know what else is silly? A, a guy who hangs out with ants. Yeah. Speaking of the current box office champ. Yep. A tree that says the same three words and means different things. A guy that climbs walls and a spider. All these, that's the thing. That's why it's so ridiculous when you see these things on Twitter where people are like, hashtag not my Marvel or whatever, you know, bullshit. Like people obsessed with the Snyderverse or all these superhero stuff is is goofy as shit. Like it's treated sometimes seriously, sometimes not. Ultimately, these characters are ridiculous. It's what you bring to it. It's the value you put in them. It's why, you know, people like, me who grew up with Batman is like anything Batman is like, you know, uh, you know, I'm I'm there opening day instantly. Whereas other people may be like, eh, it's a guy in a costume, he flies around, who cares? You know? And that's I and there's I think what what I'm getting from your answer is that the legacy of this franchise is endurance. It's the fact that even though it's not as mainstream as Batman, and I feel like other guests said some said something's in the similar vein. Even though it's not as mainstream as something like Batman or Spider-Man or or whatever, uh, that it's still it's still hanging around. Like the the endurance of this IP to hang out and to reinvent itself and to introduce itself to new generations and gen. Dude, this has been they've been on four they've done four uh four I think animated series. Uh, obviously, six theatrically released movies, a bazillion video games, and all yeah, kinds of. Now our six-year-old is into it. Yeah, exactly. And part of that is because I introduced her to it, and then but there's other more recent shows, uh, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and things like that. And now this new movie where it's it's being continuously discovered by new generations, and I think that's that's interesting. That's 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 a you know that says a lot about the promise that these characters can have when they're handled right. Personally, as the as a longtime Ninja Turtles fan, I only feel like one of these six movies has really 
nailed the balance of all the different things that we said and and treated it seriously, but not so seriously. And and you know, uh, felt true to the, felt like it lived up to the spirit of the comics and the anime, and kind of pleased everybody. So, what is your ranking of these six movies? Knowing that mine, obviously, number one is 1990. Do so you want it worst for the best? I think would be I'll best. Do the, I'll do my best. And keep in mind, listeners, I haven't watched the first three in quite a few years, so my memory may not be that great. My first, my favorite is one we actually just watched. Oh, you wait, you're doing we're best to worst? Best to worst. Okay, okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure. Yeah, best to worst. TMNT out of the shadows. What? Yes. I, really? Yes, because I thought oh it was gosh. Yeah, I thought it was fun. And it had, you know, Bebop Rock Steady. I mean they were annoying, but they are annoying in the comic books. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of I'm surprised by this. It brought on a good, good you know, and plus also like I just said I haven't watched the other three in a long time. Justin Hartley is hot. Yeah. Out of the shadows. That helps. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, that not is, Justin Hartley. Um, Robbie, oh, my God. Robbie, Stephen Amell. Robbie, I got him mixed Amell, up yeah. with the other Green Arrow from uh, Somalville. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so Out of the Shadows is also the most recent TMNT I watched other than the 2007. So it might be a little so, bit of recency bias, too. Yes, yes. So then the next one is TMNT 1. Um, then another surprise. TMNT 2014, the one that was the other one that was more recent. And then TMNT Secret of the Ooze, TMNT 2007, actually, and TMNT 3. I just don't like that one. The yeah. costumes are not good. The story is, again, all over the place. He, yeah. The last one has a similar issue to this one, as people will have heard by now, where the turtles are. The turtles, you know, they are who they are and we love them for that. Uh, but the story is like, wait, what does this have to do with the turtles? You know what I mean? I, I there's there would have been ways to tie that into these characters. It seems like they want to go on wacky adventures. Right. Which in a way is fine, but then make them interesting adventures. Like, you know, I, I'm not really going to get into my rankings, but. You don't get in your rankings until the end. Until right? the end of the whole thing. But. I was also like you, not to not not to the extent that you did, but I was also pleasantly surprised with Out of the Shadows. And they weren't as scary looking. Right. They they updated the design a little bit, and it feels more like the animated series. Like it feels like it leans into like, look, there's a brain and a tummy of a robot, and, and look at this giant pig guy, and they're eating giant vats of spaghetti. Gross, right? Aren't they stupid? And like, yeah, they are. little like seven year old Rob is like, look at this guy. It's just like when I grew up. When I was Saturday morning watching the cartoon. Yeah, it had a little bit of that vibe. And then we never got a sequel to that either. So figure go figure. Um, but the, so the third one has nothing to do with those two Michael Bay movies. The Mutant Mayhem one that's coming? Yeah. Totally no, starting over again. Why do they do this? Because they because this movie came out and then the, the studio, Imagi stu- Studios or first whatever films, I think, uh, fell apart. And so they never, it never got off the ground. I think they were planning on doing a sequel to this. So Michael Bay just spent all his money on ambulance. And then the rights to the turtles went to Paramount. Mm-hmm. And then they did 2014, which is a mess. And then 2016 kind of course corrected it. And then, but the box office grosses dropped a lot from one to two. See, and that's what I was saying earlier. Is like which I is a bummer. I don't really feel like there's that like love for th- these films. There, the more recent ones, no. Like, 
still it's still more relying on hardcore fan base that are right. older. Yeah, not people now in their forties. And you even who said grew up it, with like, them. Yeah, when would when would our daughter have been have been watching Teenage right. Mutant Ninja Turtles unless you already had? I mean, the only only way that would have happened is if she would have like gone onto Netflix, seen the picture of like the Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles show. And then be like, what's that? I'm going to watch that. And maybe you could fall, stumble onto it. But it's not like... Right now, also, this is the other thing, too. Now, in the age of streaming and the internet, and there's 4,000 channels on television, on cable, on, you know, on demand, you know, online, etc. Pop culture and entertainment is so bifurcated, like, so many times over, that everybody's watching different things very rarely is everybody watching the same things. Yes. I think with the exception of stuff like Marvel, the MCU, with the exception of things like uh, Stranger Things or Cobra Kai or Game of Thrones. It's Cobra Kai. Nostalgia. Yeah. And that's the thing. And the thing is, is like with nostalgia too, um, I mean, back when um, the first TMNT live action came out, 2014, nostalgia wasn't as big of a big of an idea. But now everything is being rebooted. Yeah. And like Sonic is now coming back. And they have a, if it had a new video game that came like to. to well, I mean, they've been releasing video games the whole time. But yeah, now with the, the movies there. Yeah. So, but Sonic seems like it has a little bit more of um, a younger audience built in. Um, that's not relying on these cartoon shows. Well, they've, they've kept it alive the whole time because there's been Sonic games a lot. I prior to Shredder's Revenge, I don't know when the last. To you, to your point, I don't know when the last Ninja Turtles video game was. I don't know if they had games for the the Bay movies or well, not. Take Sonic though, like Sonic came out in the movie theater, and we everybody just fell in love with Sonic. Right. The grownups took their kids, and the kids were like, "I love this movie," and and they you know were like, "Oh, we got Jim Carrey," and then the kids were like, "I love Jim Carrey." It's Sonic. They didn't have to have video. They didn't right. have to have cartoons. It was just like they, the love of the movies right. itself. So now Sonic is like, well, that big again. I, I'm I'm sure at some point I'll do that franchise on this podcast uh, after the third one comes out, perhaps. But that that's a specific case of, and I talked about this when we watched it. The perfect marriage of material that's material that's uh uh inner, you know attractive to children, right? Cool furry little creatures running around causing mayhem and mischief or whatever. Everybody likes. You know, kids all like Paw Patrol and things like that. So little animals cause solving crimes and stuff. But it, if the closer you look at those movies, the more you're like, this is so marketed to like the forty year olds who have kids. Well, yeah, with the game, with with the yeah, go ahead. Step like the music. The yeah. music, a hundred percent. It's all like nineties music. Uh, it's in the in the, in the second one, which Zoe has seen them a million times. When but they don't Sonic, it's 90s music. well, well, it's not marketed that way, but it is. When Sonic is like stretching and stuff, it's tricky, tricky, tricky. That's all songs we grew up with. Um, and you have Jim Carrey in his full Ace Ventura over the top mode, and a game video game system that came out when we were pretty close to our daughter's age. So it's it's that perfect cross section, and I don't know that Turtles has really been able to create a product that pleases kids but that also pleases adults at the same time. And that feels true to the lore of these characters yeah. and the style of how, of, of the comics, the end all the different previous versions and marry that all together into the perfect product since the 1990, when 
it was, you know, that it was the zeitgeist. The turtles went on, went on tour. They had the terrible oh, Christmas God. special. They were like so in pop culture. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm hoping Mutant Mayhem is a step in the right direction. I, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think we'll see when that comes out. But I think they do not make them scary looking. First of all. Yeah. Animation helps that. Yeah. And I mean, look at what happened with Sonic. Back to Sonic again. That could have gone a really bad way, but they listened to the consumers, the audience, and like, yeah, we're going to have to actually make it look more like Sonic. Which on the one hand, I'd be like, hey, fans, stop getting your hands all up in the creative process. But in that case, it saved it because he, he that was horrific design. Uh, I think this is an exception for that. Movie, so. Yeah, exactly. And then they're going to do a Knuckles show on Paramount Plus and they're going to do a third movie and there'll be a bunch of them. We're getting Shadow in 2024. Yeah, so uh, they need to yeah. like, make the animation not scary. Um, and like, yeah, more digestible to kids and like maybe think about who they're... I mean, I think they already figured this all out, but figure out who their cast is going to be that's more, like, like more um, accessible to kids. Right. And, of course, their parents. And, yeah. I mean, I don't, also don't know if Megan Fox is the best April O'Neil either. Right. Um, but Well, that's the thing that in the next episode, people will hear me and my guests talk about that there's this weird, like, s- misogynistic undertone to Michael Bay projects in general. And even directed, he just produced them. But where she's like over-sexualized in that movie, which we talked about when we were watching it. And like, is this for kids or is this for like dads to be like a drooling at the screen while their kids are like, turtles, dad? And like, yeah, yeah, I know, whatever. You know, um, it's weird. It's a weird, It's that's a weird one. Strange movie. Uh, but Kai, this has been a blast. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we wanted to mention also on this episode that you and I are working on some crooked commentary plans to bring that back on a somewhat regular basis on the Crooked Table Patreon, which I've been putting off for a long time, but I have plans for uh, for recording exclusive episodes of Crooked Commentary with Kai, um, of just me talking about other things, other movie reviews, uh, other like kind of featurey topics that I have in the works. So keep uh, keep an eye on Crooked Table or, or patreon.com slash Crooked Table for details. But Kai... Thank you so much for coming on Franchise Detours and your debut to this feed. Tell people where they can find you on social media. Not on Twitter, which is probably for the best. I mean, I'm still on Twitter. I just Kind of, but you never go on there. Yeah, I don't ever check. Um, I am on Instagram. Um, I am private. I am at K-E. You're private on Instagram? I think so. K-E-L-E-N-373. I also, I'm also private on Facebook. But I don't really. You don't do social media so much. No, I have a YouTube channel. Friends and family, that's it. I don't post anything too anymore. I've just gone, I've just gone off the grid, Off the guys. grid, yeah. What's up? Gone off the grid. You're out of the shadows. Yeah. Well, I, you're into the shadows, rather, yeah, I, I guess. pandemic, yeah, because I'm just, I'm, uh, work from home. I'm home a lot, and, yeah, I don't know. I don't, you'll, you'll hear me again. Yeah. She'll be back. I'll, I'll make her. She's across, she's, like, in the same house, so she doesn't, she doesn't have so much choice sometimes. But see, you were hesitant about coming on. And look, we've talked for over an hour about Ninja Turtles. Well, I also offered. You did. Because I, I wouldn't have... I offered for I Yeah, I don't want to make you do things you don't want to do, except for extenuating I, circumstances and so... Guess, if you have a hard time finding a guest, I'll do it. Yeah. And then you're like... And then you had a hard time finding a guest. And so I... And I was like, eh. Time to watch the it's also It's also, you're bringing a, a perspective of the casual fan. 
not like a lot of the guests are hardcore. It's like, oh, I had the toys and I grew up on it. I had a Ninja Turtle birthday party and I dressed for Halloween, which I did too. Yeah, you, uh, this is just you talking about yourself. A lot of it is. But like a lot of people that have been on the show have been like people like me or hardcore fans yeah. and like watch these movies, the original ones at least, like a million times. So it's nice to have the perspective of someone who's like, yeah, I don't know. I watched the show. I didn't see the movies until the last few years. This one's all right. Here's why. That's, you know, that's valuable. So, uh, so yeah. I do what I can. Exactly. Big thanks to Kai Yannis of Crooked Table Productions for coming on to discuss 2007's TMNT. Now, I want to know, have you seen this movie? Have you heard of this movie? Are, are we now introducing you to the Lost Ninja Turtles film? Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table and the same handle on Instagram as well as via email at robert at crookedtable.com. We'll be back next episode when we dive into the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles as seen through the eyes of Michael Bay. So uh, basically the turtle formers, I got to come up with a trans. So there's got to be a Transformers Ninja Turtles hybrid there. But basically this is that's what that is. So stay tuned for that next time. And I'll catch you at the next stop, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-K-E-D. Z-R-O-K-E-D. <laughs> <laughs>